trust love and prioritize unity is what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. Um, I want you to understand that we are really going to take an approach um, during this time where we're going to have a conversation that we're going to invite you into. It's much more of a fireside chat. I know many of the times since COVID-19 has hit, it's been more like that with Paul, Tim, and I. Um, But today we're really feeling a pastoral burden. to communicate to you this extraordinary command of God that is central to the heart of God and who God is in his very character, these realities of humility, love, and unity, that we would call ourselves to trust love and to prioritize unity. We're going to start jumping off from Romans 14 and then have a dialogue with each other. And in Romans 14, there's a couple things that we want you to know that are really, really important. Paul is addressing a big controversy within the church at that time that had to do whether or not to eat meat, likely that was sacrificed to idols. And there were people who just said, I'm not going to need to eat meat at all and be vegetarian. But sometimes we can overlook the fact that these people held these convictions very, very deeply. And it was tied directly to the economy for many of them. That if there were people in the meat industry and now other people in the church were saying, don't eat meat, uh, that would frustrate them. And they would be speaking about love of neighbor. And there were other people who felt that these issues really were salvific issues. If you followed the one true God, you would come to this conclusion. And there was a lot of infighting about these issues. So it's easy at times to read a situation in the Bible and go, oh, that isn't as important as our situations, or it isn't as tense as our situations right now, but they were. These were, in many of their minds, essential topics when it came to following God, and they affected their real lives. That's what I mean by economic. And I just want to start by saying this. Paul builds this whole argument and comes to this conclusion speaking about the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17. And the kingdom of God is of the utmost importance. Jesus himself said, we can be anxious about all kinds of things, what we will eat and what we will drink, the money that we will have, the houses that we live in. And he himself says, the thing that we should seek first, above it all, primarily seek is the kingdom of God. That if you seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things, and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus prioritizes it, Paul prioritizes it, and in the midst of this controversy, he comes to this conclusion in Romans 14, 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. We could say it's not a matter of our opinion, no matter how central we think that opinion is. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, very quickly, I want to say righteousness in the Bible is defined by our love of God and our love of neighbor, how we rightly order our love for God and then carry out our love of our neighbor. This is why Jesus says it's the greatest of all the commandments, to love God with all your everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he's putting, as the definition of righteousness, relationship right at the center of it. When our relationships with God and relationships, hear this, with each other are rightly ordered, it leads to peace. Peace is brought about when relationships are reconciled, when there are restored relationships, not when everybody believes the same thing, but when love is put forth as a priority, 
peace begins to happen. And out of good relationships, then comes joy. And I'll just say this briefly. If I asked you, what are the best times in your life and the worst times in your life? You would answer both of those according to how your relationships were. So it's easy to see Paul's order. He's saying, when we seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not based in our opinions. It's based in relationship. And this is why he then says in verse 20, don't for the sake of food destroy the work of God. The work of God is centered on relationship with God and with each other. Yeah. You know, the, one of the things I, I've been reading this chapter along with you for a couple of weeks here, and uh, it's striking the way it starts. He, he lays down an imperative um, do not quarrel over opinions, right? And he's dealing with this issue of meat sacrifice to idol, but to, to some, that was a, like you thought, salvific issue, right? God would be more honored, more glorified if we withheld eating meat. And others had the freedom, the Gentiles had the freedom to do what they wanted. But Paul seems to jump right in the middle of that pond and say, do not quarrel over opinions. He calls those intense issues opinions. And, and that, that should strike us a little bit. It should slow us down and wonder when we're anxious, when we're emoting, when we're feeling our way through it, are we certain we know what, what it is we're dealing with? Are we dealing with some personally held good, true opinion, some sense of conviction that I hold personally, or is it something that God has laid down for everyone? And to be honest with you, what I sense just in our culture is everyone trying to grab the high ground. They want to have the high ground to say, this is what God thinks, and therefore this is what we should all do. And I just feel, I feel really convicted by this passage that it confronts uh, my tendency to grab my opinion and make it preeminent so that I can get everyone else to live accordingly too. And I just don't think that's available here. Just so you know, the opinions that, that Tim just mentioned is verse one, where he calls these things opinion. But Tim, I'm curious when you said that, how we should help each other and how we would help people delineate the difference. How do I determine if what I'm thinking is just my opinion versus like a gospel commandment or what Jesus would really be after? Because he does seem to order priorities here for oh, sure. Oh yeah, certain. I mean, I mean, the conclusion he's laying out for us, love is the, love is the mechanism to navigate the opinions or the different convictions. But if you want to know the difference between an opinion and a conviction, I'm not certain... Um, anything other than the gospel alone. There are, you know, some smarter men than me have laid out grids for you to be able to discern kind of what are the main things and moving your way to the things that aren't the main things, which I think is what Paul is dealing with here. And the things that make us Christian, like our confession, is the main thing. It's uncompromised. It's what decides who is in and who is not of the church, right? They're the absolutes of Jesus alone. He rose from the dead, those kinds of things. And then you move very quickly into things that the Bible does address, but churches disagree on. And there's, you know, I suppose there's an explanation why there's so many churches in the world that people take different secondary issues to the gospel alone and say, we're comfortable here about baptism, or we're comfortable here about roles of women or whatever. And then you move into this category that I think Paul is dealing with here is when, when you get into the, should, should, someone, should someone live uh, high on the hog or not? Should someone, 
you know, when I was growing up, my dad had rules, like rules. You shouldn't dance, you shouldn't play cards, you don't go to prom, things like that. Well, it clearly is not in the scriptures, but my dad felt deeply convicted about it. And let's pretend just for, just for the sake of easy argument that we're talking about those kinds of things, the things that you feel very passionate about, but you have no biblical defense for. You are now in this opinion category, right? And I suppose if we kind of get back and go, well, let's look at Corona for a second, this COVID-19 crisis. When, when, does a, when does a society open up? When, when is someone fairly protected? When does someone need to get back to business in order to provide for their family? I'm not certain I have clear answers on any of that. And I'm certain that everyone closest to their particular story has a better understanding of that than I do. But it doesn't seem, like we were in a conversation uh, last week and one of the guys mentioned the injustice almost in any angle you pick. Like if you pick someone who is going to lose their business if they don't go back to work, well, that doesn't seem fair or right. And someone who might get sick if they get back into society again, well, that doesn't seem fair or right. And we're left to go, okay, which one of these good things do I pick? Which one of these good things do I neglect? And I, I think you're now into like, how do I feel like I should, these are the opinions, how do I feel based on my circumstances, am I supposed to respond to that? And to be fair, you know, there. If you, if you paint the whole discussion with just buckets of humility, it will change the entire tenure of the conversation. What we don't know, what's the, what's the pace that we need to take in order to get into the shoes of another person, to see from their vantage point so that we can love someone other than ourselves? Because what he does seem to apply, at the, he says it, and Colossians says, the preeminent thing is love. Like all these things that we are to do, to do and be based on being remade, new creatures, right? Um, is everything to do with how we treat other people. And he says, Paul says in Colossians 3, and the most important thing is your love for each other. And I don't know how you get there unless you're humble enough to slow down to ask questions about how is that person seeing it and what should I do for them, you know? Does that make sense? That makes tons of sense. What, what have you been working through, Paul, on the Romans passage? Well, that, the humility thing jumps out to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like this would be the first talk or conversation or message or moment in the history of the church where we've talked about unity. Right. Everyone says, yeah, unity, unity, unity. I think where we, what we struggle with is the pathway. And the path, it's because the pathway starts with humility. The pathway starts with death, which is when Paul, when Paul's talking about in Philippians 2, and he's talking about like how Jesus came humbly, died, the ultimate expression of love. And he says at the end of that, his dying and his rising leads to every name and every knee bowing unity. So I, when I'm thinking about this idea of unity, I have to first camp on humility. And humility leading to love, which is a pathway to unity. That's, that's, that's awesome. That to me is such a huge, I think about this a lot with what you just said of specifically with the idea of all three of these words were focused on humility, love, and unity. And if you go to people, Christians and people that care about the Bible, there's this reality of if you bring these up, nobody's going to explicitly go, no, I don't agree with this. Right. They're all going to go, yeah, I agree with it. But then when we roll it back, we go, but are we really emphasizing specifically and practicing humility, love, and unity? That's a whole different conversation. Totally. Is so there, I, do, I don't think anybody's going to sit there and go, no, I'm against that, because you couldn't be against it. But I do think there are moments like this, there, what gets exposed that was already there is we really have not trusted love 
and prioritize unity. And I think what you said is so true is I don't think if you're going to make love the path, which it is, I have a friend of mine who talks about like it's the golden brick road of unity is, is the road of love. You're never going to step on the path of love without humility. With, because humility necessitates a dying to yourself and love demands dying to yourself. So it's almost like the step to get on the road is humility. The path or the step to get on the road of love is humility. The road is love. And when you walk the road of love, you find unity. Um, and it leads to joy, which is what Paul's saying in 14. And he also says it of his own joy in Philippians 2. Uh, we've been talking a lot about having a... Uh, perspective of a father during this whole season and really like in our in our preaching and this, these times of teaching conversation, think like a father. So I was reading the beginning of Philippians 2 and I'm thinking uh, of my kids now in the house who, because we're all like on top of each other now, spending a lot more time, they're a lot more kind of at each other than they normally would be. And Paul's saying here, he's like, look, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? So it's like, I could say to my kids, like, is there, is there anything good about living in this house together? Is there anything good about, you know, the air conditioning that works and the bedroom that you have to yourself and the Legos that are everywhere? Is there anything good? You know, asking my kids, is there anything good about being able to go to the pantry and get something to eat whenever you want? Is there anything good in that? Then make my joy complete by being wholeheartedly agreeing with each, with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose, and having this mindset of Christ. So I, joy doesn't always get associated with humility. Humility just feels like, okay, fine, I'll be humble. But no, Paul's saying, no, 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 it's my joy for you, Philippians, and it's, and it's your joy in the spirit to be humble that leads to love and to uh, live out in, in unity with one another. Hmm. I know I sound like a broken record because I mentioned it, I think, last week, but the, I've thought a lot about humility that a key word to kind of understand it is suspicion. But it, but it is like uh, when you get in differences like this that would seem to sound like uh, even Paul's concern in Galatians, like if you're not careful, you will eat each other to death, church. Mm -hmm. You will just consume each other with your differences. and. Uh, but what you need is humility, and humility is like, well, okay, I need to be, I need to be a, uh, maybe a slower man, or a, uh, I need to just uh, be quieter, or, or whatever version of humility. But if you don't start with that, you have to be suspicious, possibly, that you're not thinking clearly, like you don't have all the answers. Like if you don't start with that as a possibility, and then, and then and stop being so suspicious of uh, and certain of another person's motive. Like, we don't ever ascribe that what people might be choosing is a different opinion than you. That means also their attempt to glorify God. You don't, we don't do that math quickly. We kind of assume we're the ones pursuing the glory of God and they're just wrong. I, I feel like the church is obligated to slow down with each other and say, well, maybe they're choosing their story, their circumstance, and the Holy Spirit working in them. And they're both, both people are choosing to glorify God as much as they can. And if we don't, if we don't start suspicion with our own motives and then stop with the suspicion of everyone else's, I don't think we're ever gonna get humility. You mm. know, humility is more than just an experience. It's a demeanor and it starts with like that whole sensitivity, both directions, right? I, I wanna look at my brothers and sisters and go, they're chasing God like I am. And that should just stop me. Like, why would I get angry? They wanna glorify God. Why would I be so upset with them? We might just be, you know, I might be this side of the story caring about this particular part of the story and you're over here and they're both equally good from our vantage point, yep. you know. It's in, I love the statement of a point of view is always a view from a point. Yeah. And 
this idea of starting with suspicion, when you were just talking, the thing I thought immediately is I think one of the, the greatest organs in our body for love is our ears. Um, how people feel loved through listening to them, but we can never listen well without humility. Is in, in, And I think this is so true in our culture, social media right now and at so many other times yeah. exposes this, is everybody has a platform to speak. Yeah. And yet the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I think the reason it says that is because the Bible puts chiefly above and beyond everything else. Like when it's all said and done, it's love. Above all of these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, the greatest, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these things, above faith and hope, is love. Mm -hmm. And so this sense of it gets really practical when it gets to shut your mouth and listen, which necessitates what you said. You gotta be suspicious of yourself first. You know, question the importance of what you have to say, the importance of your opinions. It, Go ahead. I was just saying, it's it's a reordering, and I know that you have thoughts on this too, that actually brings a great deal of freedom to you. Because, you, you know, when you are suspicious of everybody else, it just makes you frustrated, angry, they're always wrong. You know, it leads to kind of all these things where, where conceit, selfish ambition, uh, all the things that Paul's warning them ag- against. But humility and love actually lets you walk in freedom. I don't have to act now that my personal preference or even my personal experience sets the precedent for the entire population. Because I do it, everybody has to do it. Because they, you know, because they don't do it and I do, they're wrong. I, I can be freed up from that. And I'm actually freed to disadvantage myself for the advantage of others. And apart from Apart from the love of God, I cannot do that. I, I, I'm, I'm not free to finally love the way that I should love. You know, there's a pri- I'm always a pragmat guy. I always go to like, well, how do we fix it, or how do we, how do we get to the bottom line? And I'm certain there's way more to talk about is if you want to just help people. But I don't know if if what you experience is predominantly the nature of sin in man, or if it's a real an American kind of value, and and that is. I've got my opinions, they are my laws, and I'm not just gonna embrace them personally, I'm gonna flaunt them. And you talked about social media, I'm not on social media, but nothing drives me more crazy than watching the church flaunt their opinions at the detriment of their brothers and sisters. They That's just, a great statement too, at the detriment. That's it. Because it, it's, not, it's not just, I get to say what I wanna say and don't care about anybody else. In fact, if you take Romans 14, when Paul is saying, you, you people who have the, who have, let's say, you're the stronger brother and you're free to eat meat. He says, if you eat meat and harm your brother, you're flaunting that freedom in the face of your brother and sister and you're causing them harm. And I'm just saying, it, we, might, we might fall on different sides of this based on your strength of what you believe or whatever. But if you go about just saying, well, therefore I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go and do this. And I'm not gonna, I hear stories of, of people who, who go into a store and accidentally, let's say, just cough out loud and are angry at someone else being upset that they did it. Without, I just don't understand that. Like, you should apologize maybe, or just say, I'm, I'm sorry that happened, and I'll try harder because you know why? Christ has freed me to love you more than myself. I mean, I don't know why that wouldn't be the automatic conclusion, but it's, it's probably, it, I know it, it's the sinful flesh, but America has built on the backbone of that sinful flesh. Like, I get to flaunt what I believe. And, and it's me and nobody else. It's yeah. me and nobody else, and I just don't care. Which, I, I'm not suggesting 
I see it everywhere. All I know is when you see it, it stands out. It is the red sign in the room. Like that doesn't sound like Christ, look like Christ at all. I think an aspect from Romans 14 that could set up Paul leading us through communion specifically on that is he comes to this conclusion about, listen, you need to be fully convinced in your own mind, but then he drives into judgment. In the middle of Romans 14, he speaks about how we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Tim was just speaking about this reality of, I'll communicate my mind regardless. And yet the judgment seat says we will give an account for every word, mm. every word that comes out of our mouth. And then this reality of, and every action that we did, and even deeper, every motive that we've had. And I am, I was um, speaking, I think, to both of you at different times in the past week to week and a half, and I'm just so convinced the more I study the Bible that the central frame of the judgment is gonna be how did you love? And how did we love God with all of our everything, which expresses itself in how we loved our neighbor as Christ loved us. And so when we realize we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that at the end, the one thing that lasts, remember that, the one thing that lasts, you know, here are the greatest things, faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love, means, okay, the thing that lasts in the end is love and we're gonna be evaluated according to how did you live like Christ for the sake of others. And that's, that slows you down. I mean, you want to talk about a, mo a minute where you go, I get suspicious of myself and the sense of, man, the ground is so level that it's only in that place of deep humility and individual suspicion rather than confidence mm -hmm. that we can actually love. Mm -hmm. Right. I just feel like uh, the way to kind of tie a bow on this because there's so much in me um, and we'll get back to it, I think, next week yeah. when we talk about this picture of unity in John 17 is um, just the techniques of, of repentance, you know? Like, I, I don't know, um, you know, it's interesting to me, and I got it in me, I mentioned it to you yesterday, just in my own devotional life, every once in a while, this is my habit. I'll be so aware of my sin, and then I don't wanna ever speak about anybody else's. And then in a nanosecond, I forget my sin and I'm ready to respond to everyone else's. And that whole thing is like always at fight at me. I'm, I'm a great judge by nature, right? But the gospel is so trying to crush that in me. It wants to make me small and go, don't you remember where you are? Don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember what you do? I do, I know what you are. So slow your roll. Don't, don't behave that way. Don't talk that way. Before you, before you are quick to fire off an assessment of someone else, you don't know them. But I know you. And that's what, I, I don't live there all the time, but that's what I'm fighting for. Like, God, just make me so sensitive to me that I can never open up my judgment, my lack of full wisdom judgment on everyone else. So I just feel like that's, the, that's what we got in store for us next week as far as unity goes. Um, and I, I'm thrilled about that. So um, can I just pray for us yeah, as yeah, we just right. wrap this yeah. moment up? God, I thank you so very much that you, uh, your love superbounds and you don't get worn out on us because I know I would. Um, we are fickle people who have fickled opinions, who have fears galore and, uh, and idols that we don't notice. Um, but God, we're yours and we are loved by you. And so, Lord, we, we just ask for you to take this moment in our church Impress on us what is most important to you, that we would be humble and that we would love. God, make us like Jesus. And where, and where we have walked 
um, maybe unconsciously, in an insensitive way towards others. God, wake us up. And where we have boldly flaunted our thoughts and our feelings and our fears, I pray, God, you'd slow us down. And you would make us like Jesus. And I pray what we would hear, what we would know and sense over the next weeks and months is that God is doing a work of love in our church. Mm -hmm. And I pray this in the name of the one who loved most, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we move to uh, a time of communion, in, in John chapter 13, John is setting the, the scene of the Passover ce celebration with Jesus and his followers, his last supper. Um, and John tells us that Jesus does something very peculiar, at least it would have been very peculiar to them. Um, it says that Jesus knew everything the Father had given him authority, and so then he gets up from the table, takes off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And Simon, you, Peter, he objects to this. He's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus explains to him why he has to do that. But then in verse 15, he says this. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And what Jesus is saying is, look, in this exercise of not just wash your feet, which is a tangible need of yours, but I'm showing you the picture of how you are to live your life. Christian love starts at the feet. It starts at the lowest place. Um, and I think in terms of what we've been talking about with humility and love that leads to unity, we need to be a people who follow the example of Christ, where instead of trying to fight for the high ground like Tim was talking about, we dive, we say, how low can we go to love uh, my brother and sister and the world around me. And Jesus would prove that in the ultimate way on the cross, uh, which is why every week we take uh, the bread. And the bread represents the body of Christ, his life perfectly lived, perfectly obediently sacrificed for us. So take the bread and eat. At the cross, uh, the blood of Christ was shed blood that ushered in and sealed a brand new covenant, a brand new unbreakable promise with his people. Um, the sacrifice, the true atonement for our sins. Let's take and drink. With that, we celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.